chapter 3, and we will be picking up in verse 15. Galatians 3.15, and if you've been here for past studies, and we have been talking about the, the law of God, and what's going on here is not attack, an attack against the law of God. God's law is wonderful. God's law is beautiful. God's law is Himself. It's His character. In written form. There's nothing wrong with the law. There's not an attack on the law. What The attack that's going on here is against the wrong doctrine of the function of the law and the purpose of God's law. And we've been through the first two chapters as Paul has presented his defense of his God-given apostleship. And as we started verse three, chapter 3, we got into the doctrine of the God-given truth. And we're going to finish that and, and continue that anyway as we pick up in the middle of chapter 3 with Paul reviewing and refreshing uh, these Christians in Galatia in true doctrine uh, and praying for the Lord to return them back to the right path. They need some reviewing and they need some refreshing because as you know, Jews have come into the church, started fellowshipping with them, charming them, maybe maybe giving offerings, uh, whatever. And, and they're starting to listen to a doctrine that is unlike the doctrines that Paul had taught them. And, and so... Uh, as far as our salvation and what we know about it and the security of it and that we can earn it, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And in defense against people, you, you, you talk to people all the time, I'm sure. And a lot of people say different things about salvation that aren't right. And we have some really good points here that Paul makes to the Christians in Galatia to refresh them, to get back on the right track. And in verses 15 through 18... Paul talks about the covenant made, the covenant made. And it says, brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ." And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God and Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. The covenant made. And when we talk about this covenant that was made... Uh, Think of the word contract. You and I, were very familiar with contracts that are made. Now, when a contract is made between two parties, look, there, there's no third party that can just come into the picture. It's a, it's a binding agreement between two parties. And the contract can never be changed unless both parties agree to the change. These, the two parties in the contract, they are the only ones that can take anything out of the contract uh, or add anything to the contract. Now, to relate this to God's covenant or God's contract with Abraham, uh, we do have a difference here concerning a contract that, that you and I would make 
to one another. And that this contract is not two mutual parties uh, to, to correctly say what kind of covenant this is. This is a covenant of promise that God made to Abraham. It was a covenant to him, not, not a mutual one. And, and uh, that, that's very important for us to know. It's really important for us to know where we stand in our relationship with God. Yes, Jesus is our friend. He calls us friend, but let's make no mistake about it. He's the leader in the friendship. He leads and he's in control. So this is a covenant that was made to Abraham. And, it, and it's a contract of God pouring out his divine mercy. And, and if you will, God signing his name to it. When God makes a promise, it's a promise. It's not like a promise in this world. God keeps His promises. And this is a promise that was made to Abraham. Uh, and, and so, if no one could change a contract that, that was made up between you and I in this world, how could someone possibly change a contract that God has made? It's unchangeable. There's no changing of a contract or, or this covenant that God has made. But these unsaved religious people, they are trying to add the law. Here, you have God making a promise to Abraham, and, and they're trying to come in and add something. Something to a covenant that God has made. They're trying to add the law as an additional need along to the promise contract that God made Abraham for salvation. The Messiah was going to come through his lineage. And, and the, the, the promise uh, made to Abraham is the promise to you and I of salvation too. It's, it's a promise. It's not something that you and I can earn. And, and so these religious Jews, they are saying there is an additional, an additional need for the maintaining of this, to be able to keep this. And, and they're using God's law in it to be able to do it. And get this, 430 plus years after that contract was made to Abraham from God, that's when the law appeared. That's when the law came along. So something that came along so much after this contract was sealed is what they're trying to use to contaminate the true, pure gospel and the sealing of salvation that these Galatian Christians already knew. Look, if the law... Doing the deeds of the law, as we would say today, be, being kind to your neighbor and minding your own business, working hard for your family. And, and if, if good deeds could get someone to heaven, if this was to be a part of the promise of the, of the covenant that God made to Abraham, there would have to be a complete cancellation of the covenant that God made, and it would be, have to be drawn up again from scratch. Remember, this is God's covenant to Abraham. So, so by what authority could these guys come in and say that a change has been made? Okay, you can have your grace, you can have your faith, but look, this is what you have to do for it to continue. This is what you have to do to be able to have it to be secured. By what authority is this disannulling or addition being made to, to a covenant that God had set in place Himself? Look, God is the only authority for this type of change. And God has never changed His covenant of promise to Abraham. He's... Uh, and the law coming about didn't affect this covenant of promise in any way. 
I mean, you can be looking at a beautiful mountain range and, and you're seeing every peak of this mountain range and it's just the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. And, and if clouds happen to pass through, you're not seeing all the mountain range, but that doesn't mean it changed the mountain range at all. It's still there. And the law has done nothing to change God's precious promise that started way back with Abraham and has come all the way to us Today, you, you know, um, the, his promise is not going to be swallowed up or devoured by anything. And Paul is telling these erring Christians in Galatia, look, this is what has happened. The covenant has been made. He takes them all the way back to Abraham and, and that things have come about by promise and not by something you earn. So he makes the point with the covenant made, but not only that, he makes the point with the law given concerning the security of our salvation and and the keeping of it. He says, starting at verse 19, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. You know, people speak of Jesus Christ. There are organizations that would call themselves a religion that have Jesus Christ in the name, yet they do not really know who Jesus Christ is. And in the same way, the Jews that, 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 are, that are so reverencing this law, they really do not even know what the law is all about. They really do not even realize or know why God's law exists or what it's for. And Paul is informing these erring Christians in Galatia, that it was that the law of God was made, it came to clearly show the existence and the extent of sin. The apostle Paul said he had he had no idea that there was anything wrong with coveting, except that the law said, "Thou shalt not covet." And he was convicted then, and he saw by God's law that what he was doing was sin, where he didn't see it before. Okay? God's law showed him this. The, the, the Bible defines sin in 1 John 3, 4 as the transgression of the law. The, the law was given to, to show us uh, our sin and to prepare us for the promise, for us to see our need of the promise of the Messiah and to embrace and to come to Jesus Christ as Savior and to trust Him. That's exactly what the law was purposed to do. And there, there's differences in the law and the promise. They're trying to combine these or, or to say that one is against the other. And, and we have a lot of differences in the law of God and the promise that God made to Abraham. The promise was not sent through a mediator. The promise came directly when Jesus Christ came uh, to us. The law was sent through a mediator. God gave the law to angels... And in turn, the angels gave the law to Moses. And in turn from there, Moses gave the law to the people. Came through a mediator versus, versus the promise directly coming through Christ. 
The law and the promise of God are two different things. They have two different purposes. They are holding two different positions. And Paul anticipated a question, being a Jew himself and knowing exactly what they're doing, these Judaizers come in because it's what he used to do. He anticipated a question, and we see it in the beginning of verse 21. He says, is the law then against the promises of God? The law of God is, is not against the promises of God. That could only be possible if the law provided the same thing that the promise provided. And it doesn't. Lowe's and Home Depot, they both provide the same thing. Okay? They are, they are against one another. They're in competition with one another. The law of God and the promise of God, they do not provide the same thing. They are not against one another as Paul foresaw this question coming from them. And the answer is, of course not. It's be, and that's because the promise of God through Abraham, this is the promise of life. It gives life. It gives eternal life. But the law... It, it, it pays in death. It, it gives, it, it shows the opposite of what the promise does, which is death. And as we look back into verse 6 of this chapter, it says, even as Abraham, he believed God, he believed the promise. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. Paul had said there in verse 21, is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life. Verily, righteousness should have been by the law. But that's not how Abraham received the righteousness of God. Abraham believed God and he became righteous. He didn't achieve the things of God to become righteous. And remember, righteousness is what it takes to get to heaven. And and God imputes that righteousness to us. But it's not by doing any deeds to receive that righteousness. It's by trusting in Jesus Christ by faith. It is by faith that we come into possession of this righteousness. The law doesn't give it. The law doesn't give life. The law doesn't have any eternal value concerning our salvation in Jesus Christ. The argument that's going on is kind of like this. It's as if the Jews are saying, and, I, and I've used this analogy before, probably a few chapters back, but in a different way. But it's as if the Jews are saying, the mirror cleans your face. And, and the Christians, and, and Paul's point of view is, no, the water that comes out of the faucet cleans your face, not the mirror. And this is the argument that's going on, and that sounds ludicrous to you, I know. that The thought of a mirror cleaning your face. The mirror doesn't clean your face. The mirror shows you that your face needs to be clean. And, and, and it is the water that, that cleans your face from the faucet. And Jesus Christ is the living water. It's not the law. The law is the mirror. It, it shows us our need to be cleansed, but it doesn't do the cleansing. So Paul is refreshing and, and drawing these Christians of Galatia back with the covenant made and the law given. And let's look in verse 22 at the scripture concluded, but the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. 
I heard a sermon some years back. It was about six or seven years ago. I remember the exact church I was in, the exact Bible study, who was preaching and who I was sitting by. And, and, I, and I thought it was a great sermon. And he, the man had three points, and I can only remember two of them. But, but it serves the point right now. And I remember a point being of the message, God said it. And another point is, that settles it. The Scripture concludes. Uh, that word concluded there, it means to confine or it to enclose. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God does not return void. The Word of God says that it is faith that God responds to in giving the promise. And God doesn't change. God cannot lie. And the Word of God has come out of the mouth of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Second Timothy chapter 3 says, and, and what that means is that the Word of God has come out of the mouth of God. No man didn't write the Bible. He used man and the Word of God came out of his mouth. The Word of God, it, it is God. It's, there's no question about it. You know, I had a conversation with someone not too long ago and um, and someone was trying to give reasons why someone couldn't help but be doing what they're doing in their lives. And uh, they, they believed it was an act that was okay and that it was not sin. And they used all these scientific things and used a lot of different things in God's creation to try to make their point that something was all right for someone to be doing. And, and the, the end of the conversation ended with the statement that the only clarity we can have about the matter is what the Word of God says about it because the Word of God is absolute truth. No, no reasoning outside the Word of God. So the Scripture hath concluded this. And look in verse 23. We see that the faith came. But before faith came, it says we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Before faith came, we were kept under the law. Well, what we, uh, what we have understood is that a promise has been made to Abraham... By God, uh, through faith, he accepted the promise by faith. Abraham was a great man of faith, and the law came some 400 years later. So what are we saying when we're saying, but before faith came, we were kept under the law? Well, the word faith here, it's the widespread uh, evangelism of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, The widespread evangelism upon, during, and after the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection uh, and ascension of Jesus Christ. It's not talking about the faith of the individual believer because Abraham had that before the law came. Abraham had faith. He received righteousness because he believed by faith. And the revealing of this faith was the the birth of Jesus. The, the mystery became revealed. And, and, and the, the prophecy and the Word uh, became flesh. So Jesus, He came and what Jesus did was fulfill the law. He fulfilled a law that we couldn't. Hallelujah. We not only see that the covenant was made and the law was given and the Scripture was concluded, but the faith came. And where the law comes in, the faith did come, but the law guided. The law guided. This is your 
this is a, a popular verse. You've probably heard it a lot. And it's the best description of the law of God. And it says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The Jews oppose Christ. The Jews exalt the law of God and look at the law of God as their hope. And the biblical function of the law is to be a schoolmaster for us. That word schoolmaster, it means a tutor or an overseer or a guardian. It's, it's like a good servant in biblical history when a family and an estate had a servant. When they had a really good servant and, and, and he'd been put to the test, then, then he would be placed in charge of the son or the sons in the family from about the age of six years old to about 16 years old. And the servant taught him manners and taught him humility, taught respect, how to work hard, how, how to grow up to be a real man. Okay? The instructions were given there. And, and there was a lot of the thou shalts and thou shalt nots of, of the law in that. Uh, and the, the servant gave him instructions so that the boy could be led into manhood. Now, the law performs as that servant in that the law's instructions see, uh, lead us to see our need for Christ. The, the law is guiding and instructing, and, and we see that we fall short. That's, the, that's what's so great about the good news that Jesus fulfilled the law. And, and it lead, the law guides us to see that, that we need the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. But we not only see that the faith came and the law guided, but the burden has been lifted. Things are getting better and better. The burden lifted, verse 25. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. No longer under a burden. No longer guilty with no hope. After faith is come. What good news is that? After Jesus Christ has been personally trusted, after the law guided us to see that we needed Jesus Christ as Savior, then the law provided no more gloom and doom for you and I. You, you, cannot, you cannot condemn me under the law of God anymore because I've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, as Savior who has fulfilled God's law. And we become secure in, in Him. The accomplishing of the law, look, would always be successful on our parts. And it would always be the dark cloud over our head. And it would always show us our, glil, our guilt and our doom. But the righteous, perfect life of Jesus Christ fulfilled God's law. It is under His feet. And the burden has been lifted from you and I by trusting in Jesus Christ. But not only do we see the burden lifted, but we, I'll call verse 26, the adoption finalized. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. That that takes me back to Romans 8.15. That's the first thing that came to my mind. And it says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We're no longer just God's creation. 
in Jesus Christ, we become a child of God. We become children by adoption. I have a good friend named Billy Blue, and his aunt adopted him. He said, she is my mom. Not because I came out of her womb, but because of what she put into me. She is... My mom. And we're not God's children as a result of any outward effort, of any outward ordinance, of any human effort on anything to do with our part whatsoever. Keeping the law, look, keeping God's law, it's something that the Christian does. It's something that the Christian should be doing. In the will of God, we're going to be keeping God's law. But that is an outward sanctification of our inner salvation. It's something that is a result of that that you and I are going to do. See, God works from the inside out. I, I know someone, and man, he's willing to come to church. He's willing to, to sit in the sanctuary and go through the motions of things. And, and he wants to be on a path of righteousness. But he doesn't want to go through salvation in Jesus to get to that sanctification. It's good to be sanctified. It's good to work for the Lord. But, but you have to come to Jesus first. There, there's no other way around that. The adoption has been finalized. The Jews, though, are trying to start from, from the outside, and it just can't happen. They need an inside work of faith. But what they're doing is trying to talk these Galatian Christians into, into ignoring that or sliding what, that, that inner faith and you need to do this, and you need to keep this up, and this has to happen or it's all for nothing. Well, I'm sorry, the burden's been lifted, the adoption's been finalized, the relationship started. Verse 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. I was listening to a preacher on the radio a while back, and he said that your Christian life starts... The moment that you're baptized in the water. And uh, I couldn't get through that dashboard to him. To, to talk to him about that. You know, the only problem with that statement is that it's not true. He, he, he can't go to the hospital, I guess, and, and minister and witness to someone that's in a hospital bed that can't get up. That, that may be near the end of their life. Uh, you can and I can. Because because the moment that, that God puts that faith in their heart from them hearing the Word of God and they trust in Jesus as Savior, they're saved. Their Christian life starts from that moment right there in that hospital bed. It, it, and and that's, that's when it is. And, and if someone that says it starts in the water, they can't know about that personal relationship. And, and when it starts and what it means and what it does. Hallelujah, the relationship Started And in these verses, it talks about uh, uh, baptized and it talks about putting on Christ. And, and this speaks of identification with Christ and, and it speaks of unity and the individual personal relationship. Look, we're convicted by the word of God. We call out to him. We confess him. We're converted and then we're clothed in him. What, what a beautiful personal relationship that is if you're on an airplane and that airplane's going down and you see that and you see that uh parachute over there you know you know that parachute will save you but it's not really going to save you till you put it on 
You know, Romans 13, 14 says, Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that word means to clothe yourself in Him. What a, what a wonderful personal relationship we have. We, we don't have to, we don't have to uh, be snowed by religion. We do not have to be snowed by rituals. Galatia doesn't either. But it's happening to them. The relationship started though. And, and let's look at verse 28. This should uh, really make them be reviewing, these Christians in Galatia, really reviewing what's, what's going on. The harmony existed. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Ephesians and chapter 4. And verse 3 says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and, and through you, through all and in you all. Look at what Paul says. Let's jump over to chapter four here of Galatians and look at what Paul says in verses chapter four through uh, 13 through 16. It says, you know how through Infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation was in my flesh, ye ye despise not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? Or in other words, where is the love, Galatia? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth, you know, this is a this is a church and and I think we can describe this church as having harmony and we're a close church family. And and someone one wise person here has said, I believe it's because of the truth that we share. I I believe it. I believe it's what the truth has done in us as people uh, in, in one church together. And you see they're starting to drift from the truth. And they would have plucked out their own eyes at one time for Paul. Now, now they want to poke his eyes out. Um, and, and they have no harmony with Paul. Not only that, but if you look in chapter 5, verse 26, we see that Paul had to say this because they had no harmony with each other at the time. It says, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. So they're, so they're at each other's throats and having problems. Not only did they have no harmony with Paul and no harmony with the people, they had no harmony with the preachers. See, there was a lot of members that were listening to him, but there were some preachers there in the churches in Galatia, and, and they didn't buy the stuff that they were saying. They, they had become grounded, and they didn't put up with but the members of the church weren't, weren't paying attention to the preachers. That's why he says in chapter 6, verse 6, Let him that is taught in the Word communicate unto him that teacheth, In all good things, there is no harmony going on now. Paul has to tell them to honor and to meet the needs of the preachers and not to ignore their leadership. The harmony had existed, but now heresy is starting to take over. And one more verse, just closing it up with the promise accepted. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed? And heirs 
according to the promise. Heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We are inheritors of the heavenly things. You know, someone once described the children of Israel, uh, and, and I don't really like this, but I'll use it to make a point. Someone said, well, they were saved and they didn't really want to be. Because of all the murmuring and complaining and things, you know. Now, I've never known anyone that was saved and didn't want to be. So I don't really like that. That's not the best diagnosis and description. But that's the way it looked by the actions of the children of Israel. And that's the way it looked for some of these Galatian Christians to be listening to something that wasn't doctrinally true and starting to turn and starting to follow it. Uh, You might say the same thing of their actions. The false doctrine coming in, what it's doing is, you know, we're heirs, we're joint heirs, we're inheritors of of God's salvation and the things of heaven and rewards in heaven. All of that by, by the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done. We are heirs according to promise. What these Jews are doing is trying to come in and make them heirs according to pride. That, that'll build a religion. You feed a man's pride and, and, and you'll, you'll build some people up. And you'll gather some people. You'll gather some people at 6 o'clock in the morning when they've been up all night. If, they, if it can be according to their pride and the way that they do things. But we're heirs according to the promise of God. And you know what? This gives us... If, if someone tells you things about your salvation that isn't true... How do, you, how do you respond to them? Well, there's a, there's a whole page full right here. There's actually a whole epistle full in the book of Galatians. So we can thank God for His precious salvation and, and to know the doctrine of it and to know what it means. Well, teenagers, we are going to...